everyone. Welcome to the Gatekeepers Podcast. In this message, Billy Humphrey gives a breakdown of Song of Solomon chapter 1, teaching on its invitation to rest in God's love for us. If you want to know more about Gatekeepers, visit gatecityatl.com slash gatekeepers. Enjoy. All right. We are on part three of our series, Encountering Jesus in Song of Solomon. Let's pray, and we'll get into the Word. Thank you, Lord. So, Lord, I'm asking that tonight you would meet us with richness. You'd meet us with revelation. You'd speak to us. And unlock the truth of your affections for us. I'm asking that tonight thoughts that have kept us away from the knowledge of your love, mentalities that have kept us out, habits that have kept us away from your love, that tonight you would break in with power. you would meet us with a revelation of the way you think and the way you feel. We want to experience. We want to come to know and believe the love that God has for us. So burning bridegroom, come walk right through this room. Meet us. Shift our lives even tonight. We give you thanks in Jesus' name. Everybody said amen. All right, put a little pull on this tonight as I'm sharing. Okay, we're on part three. Um, If you haven't been here the last two weeks, I just encourage you, go on our podcast, listen, Gatekeepers Podcast, listen to the first two parts because I lay a lot of foundations. So tonight, I'm going to begin to work through chapter one, and hopefully in the next five, six weeks, I can get through all eight chapters of Song of Solomon for us. So we've set some foundational ideas But tonight I'm going to go, not exactly verse by verse, but I'm going to go by the key verses and the key phrases to walk us through. And Song of Solomon 1, it basically sets the course for the entire rest of the book. And so, you know, really getting Song of Solomon 1 clear, it's the key to unlock the rest of the book. Now, um, I would just say this in my own personal journey, I've spent more time in Song of Solomon 1 than I have in any of the other chapters. Because what he unpacks in Song of Solomon 1 is what pushes her forward so that her heart can come alive in the love of God. Now, I would just tell you this. I've done pastoral ministry for like 30 years. And I would just tell you this. Virtually every counseling appointment I've ever had is a problem with the knowledge of the love of God, like every one of them. And it's so often people think their problem is, you know, a sin issue or a conflict with a person issue or, you know, uh, you know some kind of challenging issue that's happening to them. And when, when, I, when I dig down into it and, and I get in there with that person, the issue really is about whether or not they're confident in the love of God. Confidence in God's love for you. 
experiential knowledge and confidence in his love for you is the, to me, it is the great possession of this life. If you do not have that confidence, if, you, if that is wavering in your soul, you're, when circumstances are throwing you up and down, your belief in the way God thinks about you will go up and down. And the way that it plays out with most people is this. They kind of believe this, that when I'm doing well, God loves me more. And when I'm doing badly, God loves me less. And if that's your experience, that somehow your performance, that when you do well, God really loves you, and you do poorly, God really doesn't love you as much, if somehow that's in there, I'm telling you, Song of Solomon 1, it is the nuclear bomb to that mentality. Now, many of you, if you've been in the church, you would answer that question right. If I said, does God love you based on your performance? You, you, if you've been in the church any amount of time, you'd probably go, no. You know, uh, that's not true. But here's the question. When you're performing bad, how do you feel that God thinks about you? <laughs> Honest answer in the front row. Like, if, you, if, you're, if you're just blowing it, do you feel that God is also having, like, a hard time loving you? Some people, it's not even about them blowing it or making like sin choices. Some people, it's just when they didn't perform well. Some people got it bad. You guys are, some of y'all are students. Some people got it bad. If you make a B, I'm just on some people's toes right now. You feel like somehow God is not pleased with you. It, and it's, your performance mentality is that strong that it's about whether or not you, you, you know, ace things. You have to get it perfect. And that is not the way God thinks. I love Psalm 103. It says he knows your frame. He knows you're made of dust. He is not expecting 100s on every test. That is not him. And so what we find in Song of Solomon 1, it. It, it gives us an adjustment to our mentality, our spiritual mentality that we have to have so that we can just function living a Christian life. Like, it is that critical, that essential. And it's, to me, it's the chapter that it, it nukes a performance mentality and it brings you into confidence and love, almost like no other chapter, okay? Now, and I'll say that maybe something close to that about every chapter in the book of Song of Solomon. The whole book is for that but Song of Solomon 1 is critical in that way. All right, so we've touched a few of these themes. I'm going to go back through them a little bit, and then we're going to get into how Jesus, pull, it's basically this, how Jesus pulls you out of your hot mess and gets you to believe in his love. That's what happens in Song of Solomon 1. Jesus pulling you out of your hot mess and getting you to confidence and love. Does that sound like a plan? All right, put a little draw on this so I can get in the zone. All right, Song of Solomon 1-2. I'm not going to go every verse, but I am going to hit the highlights. Song of Solomon 1-2. Let him kiss me with the kisses of his mouth, for your love is better than wine. Now, we've talked about this as an allegory. So in this, in this phrase, let him kiss me with the kisses of his mouth. I just want to say it again so I don't get misquoted and called a cult leader. We see this as an allegory. This is not about pucker up and lay a kiss on my lips, Jesus. In fact, if, that's, if you're doing that in your prayer time, I rebuke you. 
do not do that. We do not sexualize in any way the Song of Solomon. That's not what this is. This is an allegory that expresses God's poetic, his poetic heart of love and the way he thinks and feels about us. It's, his, it's, it's emotional. It's his emotions towards us in poetry. The book of Romans would be the power of salvation and the love of God expressed judicially or legally. Song of Solomon is God's salvific work and his love expressed towards us emotionally and poetically. We're tracking? So when we see let him kiss me the kisses of his mouth, we realize the word of God comes out of his mouth. So it's let him kiss me with the kisses of his word. For your love is better than wine. Now, here's the first thing I realize about Song of Solomon. She's, I mean, as we just, out of the gate, as she's starting in her journey, the very first thing is this, spiritual hunger. This maiden is in a place of great spiritual desire. So if you're sitting in here, and you're going, I just, I just want God to do something in my life, anything. You, this, this is your story. It's spiritual desire. Now, what we're going to find is it's spiritual desire and crisis, but it's spiritual desire. She goes, let him kiss me. And the, the trajectory of that is she's, it's like an intercessor. It's like a Christian saying to the Father, I want Jesus to speak revelation to my heart, Father. So it's let hit Father, let your son kiss my heart with revelation of the word. And the kisses of God's revelation on your heart, that's where light breaks in, that's where life is released, that's where the dark thoughts that you have that are beating you up when no one else is around. That's where those get dispelled when he comes and he kisses your heart with his word. This is your great need. It's my great need. The kiss of revelation on your heart where it unlocks truths about God on the inside of you and you begin to see him differently and you think about him differently and then you think about yourself differently and then you think about others differently. And that, once those dominoes start falling, your life gets transformed. But that all starts with spiritual hunger, spiritual desire. Let him kiss me. Let him kiss my heart with revelation. Release light, release revelation to me. And I would just say this. I've, I've seen this happen so many times over the years. Young people will come to me, they go, I, I want to feel God, and, and he's not touching me. He doesn't care about me, and that person over there, they're shaking, and that one over there, they're crying, and this one's on the floor, and this one's rolling around, and they're barking like a dog. I don't know what that is, but God is doing something to them, and he's not doing anything to me, and ah! And I look at him, and I go, he's absolutely doing something to you. And they go, no, he's not. See, they're barking, rolling, cracking up, whatever. And I go, he's totally doing something to you. I don't feel it. I go, well, are you hungry for God? And they go, yeah, that's my point. That's why my heart's broken. I go, you can't get that any other place but heaven. Listen, the greatest evidence of heaven's influence upon you is that you want God. 
That's the greatest evidence. Because there's none that seeks God, no, not one. I don't care how frail, how broken, how many mistakes you make, how many bad choices you make, how bound in sin. You could be sitting in here in sin right now, bound up, but there's something on the inside you're going, God, please help. And the only reason that's happening in your heart, that God, please help, heaven's authoring that on the inside of you. And so that is a critical understanding. As long as that's on the inside, and I'm not saying it's on there 100% of the time, your heart's just beating like, God, 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 God. It's not always like that. But like when you settle, when you come to yourself, you go, oh, I need God. That right there, that's God working on you. It's the greatest evidence of it. And so I always tell young people, I say, listen, the fact that you want God, that's heaven's activity on your life. Hunger is the gift. Living a life of desire and longing and wanting God, that's the gift because there are billions on the planet who care nothing about Jesus. They love their sin and they hate Jesus and they hate anybody that talks about Jesus. But you have something on the inside of you that even got you into this room tonight. I don't care if your friend grabbed you and said, look, I'll give you 50 bucks if you just come tonight. You're like, hey, okay, couldn't be that bad. Maybe God, who knows? I mean, that, even that is evidence of God working on your heart. And don't despise that. Don't think, well, I'm just a hopeless you know, sinner, I've got all these frailties, I, I mess up all the time. No, 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 no. The fact that you've got any desire for him, that's God working on you, for sure. For sure. So that's the thing I see, this, this evidence of heaven's influence upon her. And here's the thing, the key to experiencing God is hunger for God. The greatest evidence of heaven's influence upon you is hunger for God. And the greatest key to experience God is hunger for God. He says, draw near to me and I will draw near to you. And the only way that you can draw near to him is if he draws you. No one can come to me except for the Father, draw him. Do you see how this works? So you feel the influence of God drawing you. You respond and say, I want you, God, to move on my life. That's heaven moving and that is your doorway to encounter that is always the doorway to encounter. Hear me. Desire is the doorway to encounter. And here's the thing. You, you know, don't go, well, I went tonight and I hungered for God and I didn't feel anything and God didn't care. No, the fact that that's happening, God's moving on you. Let that hunger, let that work in you. Let, let that thing work in you till you realize all the other things that you go to try to like quench that hunger don't work. Let that ache grow to where it's like, if I don't get God, I'm gonna die. Let it get to there. That's an awesome place to live. It's painful, but it's awesome because that will keep you in pursuit. And I would just tell you this, having been messed up like I am for a long time, I've hungered a lot more than I've encountered, but I've encountered a lot more than a lot of people I know. Does that make sense? I've hungered a lot more than I've encountered, but when it comes to encountering him, I've encountered a lot more than most people I know. So the hunger has always got me into that place of encounter. 
So this is where she starts. Let him kiss me. I need it. I need revelation on my heart. And here's the thing. I'm just going to talk about spiritual hunger for a little bit more. Tons of us are living in a state of spiritual hunger. We just don't realize that's what it is. Your soul is aching. Your soul is longing. Your soul is wanting. You're so often in our immaturity, we look for love, like the song says, in all the wrong places. We're looking for love, you know, in too many faces. People, that's bars, that's right. We're looking for love from that relationship. We're looking for love from that, you know, boss who will give us the raise. Or we're looking for love, you know, by, you know, getting approval from, you know, achieving something. Either, you know, we get approval from our our parents or from, you know, our pastor or whoever. We're looking for these approval points. We're looking for love. And we don't realize that that longing for that approval, that desire for love, that's always a spiritual thing. It's a spiritual ache that is going on in the inside of you. I remember when I was a young person, I used to get up and I would go to the refrigerator and I would look in the refrigerator and look for food. There'd be nothing in there. And then I'd be like, all right, TV, all the way around the horn, nothing. Go outside, it's like, nothing out here. Come back inside, like, you know, and I'm just looking, 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 something, 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 something. I didn't have a phone. Yeah, just like, let's make that clear. I flew kites and, you know, used these Frisbees, you know, whatever, non-digital. But, and I would, I would make this circuit of looking for something to scratch the itch. And it was only until years later I realized this is God on my soul, telling me I'm made for more, I'm made for something else. Well, this is what she is. She's a believer who is longing for God, longing for love. This is where her journey starts. And she is in this place of desperation and hunger, and she's in this place of spiritual crisis. And so here's what I want to show you. There's this connection between these two phrases. Let him kiss me with the kisses of his mouth. Then she says, your love is better than wine. Here's the point I want to make to you. Whenever God reveals God, it is a kiss of his love. Let him kiss me the kisses of his mouth. Your love is better than wine. So whenever he does kiss your heart with revelation, that is him sharing his love with you. Does that make sense? When I kiss my wife, I'm telling her via the kiss, I love her. When he kisses your heart with understanding of anything about him, he's telling you, I love you. So any of those moments where you've ever had understanding of the word, when anything is ever lit up, whenever the light bulb has gone on, when you've ever been intrigued with anything about the Bible, about Jesus, that is a kiss of revelation and it's a love note. I love you. I love you. And so it could be about any topic in the scripture and he is telling you, I love you. Does that make sense? Let him kiss me with the kisses of his mouth. Your love is better than wine. And that brings me to this place. That phrase, your love is better than wine. It's a critical thought. It's a critical thought. You know, we had a a beautiful time in worship. I just, gosh, I'm so grateful for our whole worship team. You guys are so beautiful. You're amazing. Love you so much. You carry us. 
so much into his presence. And you could almost feel like just the air, almost like was we're just like in a, a sauna of the love of God. You know, it's just really rich in here. And, and that experience of his love, where we're ten, you know, tangibly feeling it, that's powerful. But the knowledge of it, when you're convinced of it, that's even more powerful because you don't have to have a feeling. You just know, right? And, and I would just say this. Your love is better than wine. Wine is an earthly intoxicant. It's something that makes you feel inebriated. It makes you feel fun, loosens you up, all those things, right? Drunk. Wine gets you to this place of, you know, joy, manufactured happiness. It's an it's a, it's a image of all the worldly pleasures, the wine of this world. He goes, your love is better than all the worldly pleasures. Your love is better than all the worldly pleasures. She starts her journey there saying, I'd rather have your love than anything. Now, here's, here's the thing. You know you're rightly valuing God's love. You know you're rightly valuing it when you can say your love is better than wine. Your love is better than anything. Now again, I know we know the right answer. I know we know that. I know that if we took a test and I said, is God's love better than everything? You go, yes, I know that. But if, let's, just, let's just do the math on it. If I had a billion dollars in one hundreds right here, and I said, you can have this billion but you'll never know the love of God. Now, the question becomes, would you take the billion or would you say, I'd rather be poor because your love is better than wine? See what I'm saying? And if that is a question for you, what you've done is you've taken something of infinite value and you've devalued it to the place where you think something as stupid as American money is more valuable than it. Okay? And that just puts it in perspective where she's starting the journey. She starts her journey with, I need you to reveal you to me because you revealing you to me is a kiss of your love, and that's more valuable than anything else. Listen, guys, if I, man, if I could just like implant it in your heart, if I, could, if I could feed it to you and it's clear for you right now, if I could give you one thing and do that for you right now, it would be confidence in God's love. Knowing, experientially knowing, and being confident in the reality of God's love. If you can say, yeah, I know God loves me. I know, whatever. If you can say that, you have no idea what you're talking about. Because when you know it, you can't say it that way. Because it's infinite in value. It's, it's the most valuable thing there is in all creation. When God reveals God to the human heart, it is the greatest gift God can give you. 
He's the most valuable. Him revealing himself to you is the most valuable. It's the most valuable experience, and it is an experience of God handing you his love. Am I making sense right now? Let him kiss me with the kisses of his word because your love is better than wine. This is where she starts, gang. If, man, if I, if I could just put, if I could write that on your soul right now, I would. I would give you Song of Solomon 1, 2, and just it's a wrap. Knowing and experiencing the love of God, it's the greatest thing we can experience in this life. It's the most valuable, the most precious, the most beautiful, the most transformative. All right, so she goes from there, and she says this two, twofold thing. It's the first and second commandment we've talked about in the weeks past. Draw me away and let us run together. Verse four, draw me away and let us run together. This is, listen, do you want to know what your life is about? Your life is about Song of Solomon 1, chapter 4. Draw me away with you and let us run together in everything you have for me. Everybody wants to know their purpose. I'll tell you your purpose. To encounter the love of God and to run with God in everything he's got for you. That's it. What, what the specifics of that, all the little specifics, those are just little details. Knowing the love of God and running with God in everything, that's, man, that's your whole life. That's what you're made for. That's what you're created for. Your heart, your soul, your makeup, you were made for love. You run on love. You are made to know that you are deeply desired. You are wanted. You are longed for by God. You are made to know that. Draw me away. Tell me what, I, what you think of me. Tell me how you feel about me. Draw me away. Break all this off of my mind and make it real to me that I am made for love. If you think you're made for something besides love, you have no idea who it is that created you and how he made you. Because what makes your heart tick is love. It's love. And what we do is we... We, you know, we have these false pleasures. No, I want that kind of a car. No, I want that much money. No, I want this much notoriety. No, I want to be able to do this academically or professionally or athletically. I'm telling you, all of those are experiences that are counterfeits of running with him and what you're made for. And what you're made for is to have God impact on the earth. To know God, love, and to have God impact on this planet. That's what you're made for. Draw me away. Let us run together. The first and second commandment. Love God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. This expresses the essential longing of every single heart. To know the love of God and to make an impact on others. I, just, I got this interesting email. Missionary in a closed nation. A guy I haven't talked to, and honestly, I only ever met him once. And then when I met him, I'll just give you the short version of it. When I met him, the Lord gave me a bunch of prophetic, like, word of knowledge about him and his wife and their marriage. And I just, being bull, bullheaded as I am, I just said, hey, man, how's your marriage? 
and he went, what, 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 what? I mean, I've just met the guy. Like, we're having coffee. He's like, oh, I heard about you. I'm like, oh, nice to meet you. Da, 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 da. I go, how's your marriage? <laughs> yeah, it's like a weird second question. He goes, oh, uh, bah, bah, uh, bah, bah. I go, not so good, huh? I'm an eight. <laughs> if you know the Enneagram, I go, not so good, huh? What's, what's going on? And I just get right in there. And the Lord starts unpacking to me details about him and his wife. Well, I know his leader uh, of a large ministry. I know, I know the leader. I said, man, you need to talk to your leader. You need to get off the mission field right now. You need to rescue your marriage. Come to find out, like within a month, they had been into counseling. They were getting ready to divorce. They were both secretly planning to leave one another. It's a wild story. The leader gets in there, starts ministering to them, starts working them through the stuff. They both repent. They stay married. This has been seven years ago. I get an email yesterday. Hey, you may not remember me from a closed nation. You confronted me about my marriage. I was like, oh, I definitely remember that. As awkward as could be. Yeah, I remember that. He goes, we have four children now. Our marriage is alive. God is flourishing. He goes, I want to tell you thank you so much for confronting us. It was shocking, but I'm reading it. I'm going, that's me and him running together. I was with that couple for two hours to max. I met them and was with them out within two hours. And God used that as a little smart bomb to, you know, I didn't, I didn't do all the work to, to set a series of things in motion that ended up saving their marriage. He goes, thank you so much for confronting us. It saved our marriage. That's the run together. I can't tell you, I, I, don't, I can't remember how many times I've gotten to run together with him. Somebody, maybe you're in the room and you go, man, you gave me a prophetic word one time, it was rock my world. I don't remember most of it. It's literally just God doing the thing. And I go, I think, da, 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 and be going, oh my God, it's God. I go, <laughs> we're running together. We're running together. The running together is the outcome of being drawn away. And drawn away is where I want to live. I want to make an impact, but I want to live and drawn away so that no matter where I'm going, we're running together. Does that make sense? This is the core of what's going on in your soul. You want to be drawn away. You want to be drawn away. You want to be known. You want to be loved. You want to be, you want to be seen on the inside and understood. You have, you have pleasure centers in your soul that the only way that those buttons can get pushed is experientially knowing the love of God. And you will look for those pleasure centers to get pushed, those buttons to get pushed in your soul on all sorts of things until you find the love of God. And then when you find the love of God, you will not trade it for a billion dollars, for $10 billion, a trillion dollars. There's no earthly pleasure that you'll trade it for. And that's why knowing the love of God is the greatest thing to keep you living in righteousness. Because when you know the love of God, you would never forfeit the love of God. Am I making sense? Draw me away. Let us run together. All right, so here's her spiritual crisis, verse 5. She says, I am dark but lovely, O daughters of Jerusalem, like the tents of Kedar, like the curtains of Solomon. Now, here's the thing. Every single believer, every one of us, we go through a process of maturity. We don't start off like born again and perfectly mature in Christ. 
you start off as a baby and you have to grow in maturity, okay? And we grow in the knowledge of God. We grow in the love of God. And we grow more and more mature in love. That's our process, all right? And so what happens is we go through trials and challenges. We go through difficulties. We go through ups and downs. We go through failures. Listen, failures are essential for you to grow. If you're not able to fail, you will not grow. Because you will package your life in such a way that everything is easy because you never want to be tested and stretched. And if you build your life around only things that you can dominate and be the best at, you'll never grow. Yeah, you'll be dunking the ball, but you'll be dunking on second graders your whole life. And last time I checked, 40-year-old dudes dunking it on second graders, it looks really stupid. But watch, I've been around this thing a while. I've been in ministry a long time. And I, I can't tell you how many times I've been around believers. They've been saved for 25 or 30 years, but it's 25 years of one year of maturity. And they never grow. If something is bringing difficulty to you, it is an opportunity for your growth. If something is challenging to you, it's an opportunity for your growth. If something is a discomfort for you, God is walking you through that so you can grow. And primarily it's about growing in love. Going through hardship doesn't mean God doesn't love you. Going through hardship mean God, means God loves you. He's holding your hand because he wants you to grow. And he's so committed to you, he will not let you stay as you are. I look back at certain seasons of my life and I think, man, I was a whiny baby brat. Every little thing that was hard, I'm like complaining to God in every prayer. God, don't you see? God, don't you care? Don't you know? Do you know how hard this is? He's going, oh, my little buddy. I love you so much. That is a .00025 on the hardship scale. Because, but I love you so much, I won't leave you whining about .00025. I'm going to get you to .00050. And then after that, we're going to get to .001. It's going to be really intense. But one is coming in a minute. And I need you to get to one because five is coming in a minute. And I need you to grow up. And so he walks with us through trials and challenges and hardships. So she says this thing. She says, I am dark, but I am lovely. And here's what's going on. She goes like the uh, tents of Kedar, like the curtains of Solomon. And so what she's describing is this twofold reality. She says, on the outside, I'm, I'm burned. The tents of Kedar were these darkened, tanned skins. And the curtains of Solomon were the inner curtains of the, of the temple. They were the, these white linen temple uh, curtains. And so she says, on the inside, I realize you say I'm beautiful. But on the outside, I've gone through so much. I've got so much traffic, and I've been such a mess. She, you know, she says, I, I, I'm, I'm a mess on the outside. And so... This is her process that she's starting in this place of immaturity and weakness and brokenness. And some of you right now, when you 
go to the Lord, you can't even get to the I am lovely part. Because all you can feel is I am dark. Okay? Because you're so aware of all the difficulties, the trials of your failings. You're so aware of all your bad choices. And you're so unaware of his smile in the midst of all of it. I was, uh, I was fresh into the message of Song of Solomon. I was really just alive in it. I mean, it's just moving my heart. And I was just like, oh, this is the best. I just, I, I'm, I'm dark but lovely. I'm dark but lovely. Oh, so good. He loves me. My real love is really. I mean, just, I'm just inebriated in the love of God. And so I was living in Kansas City. And the, the director of the House of Prayer in Kansas City, his name is Mike Bickle. And Mike's got international ministry. Some of y'all would know his name. Some of y'all don't. But Mike's a, he's a big dog, right? So I, I had this thing where I got to be, like, mentored by Mike for a year. And so we were, we were close. And, and I remember one of the ways that I just was able to get in his life was whenever he had to travel, I was his chauffeur. So I had an hour to the airport with him and then an hour back. It was just one of the ways we connected. It's great. So I could just pelt him with questions for two hours every time he went out of town. It was great. So... I'm going to pick him up from the airport, and uh, I'm, in, I'm in Kansas City, and it's about, it's about an hour drive, and uh, I'm a little late. I don't want to be late to pick him up because I want to you know, make a good impression, and uh, I look up, and I got the blues behind me. I'm like, oh, and I get pulled over, and I'm speeding, and I get a ticket, and I'm like, oh, no. I'm probably the only person that's gotten, ever been this level of a sinner ever. <laughs> that I would get pulled over by the cops for speeding going to pick up Mike Bickle from the airport. Oh, oh, this is horrible. I'm a sinner. Oh, no, there's no way this is going to be a good ride home because I've just, I've sinned. I've broken the law. I'm a sinner. I mean, I was like killing myself over this, like just shaming myself. You know better than that. 55 miles an hour. What do you think? I'm just and the devil's going, yeah, you suck. And I'm going, me suck, yeah. I mean, it's just like over and over and over. And the Lord goes, hey, bud. I go, I suck, God. <laughs> he goes, stop with that for a minute, stop. I go, yeah? He goes, hey, dark but lovely. It doesn't work. It's not about when you feel lovely. It's about when you feel dark. And I went, wait, what? <laughs> he goes, I love you ever still. And I just remember that point that it's in the midst of when you're feeling dark that the revelation of the love of God, it will crowbar you out of that place of shame and pain. And that's the critical point is that knowing the love of God, it keeps you out of that place of shame, depression, brokenness, and all that junk that comes when you blow it, when you, when you fail. And so she's in this place of darkness, but recognizing that there is this truth of his delight. And in verse 6, here she is on the journey, and, and, and this is where a lot of us are in our journey. We're like, don't look at me. Don't look at me. She goes, don't look at me because I'm dark. She goes, the sun has tanned me. 
She was, my mother's sons were angry with me. They made me the keeper of vineyards, but my own vineyard I have not kept. There's three things going on here that's caused this darkness in her life. This is a spiritual darkness that we're talking about. It's a spiritual darkness that's going on. She's full of shame, okay? She's like, don't look at me. She goes, there's spiritual darkness in my life. There's three reasons why. She goes, number one, the sun has tanned me. The sun speaks of the trials and the temptations that happen to all of us in this life. Just like if you walked outside and you stood under the sun and you just let it bake you for about five hours, you'd be fried. That's this life. The trials of this life, the difficulties, the challenges, the hardships, the misunderstandings. I've had a really beautiful week of misunderstandings. Multiple misunderstandings for me this week. I'm like, I really didn't say that. They're like, you really did. I'm like, I swear I didn't say that. I heard you with my own ears. Uh, I repent of what you think I said. I mean, it's just like, this is my whole week, it felt like. It wasn't my whole thing, but it just, it was, I, this is my week. And I'm realizing it's patient and kindness through misunderstanding. That's where I'm at. Experiencing God's love in it and giving God's love in it. Patience and kindness. This is, this is my, I don't know what God's been teaching you this week. Patience and kindness and misunderstanding. That's been my week. It's part of the sun. It's the trials of this life. That happens. People misunderstand people. If you're getting spun out every time you have a misunderstanding, you need a greater revelation of the love of God. The trials, the challenges, the hardships, the difficulties, the COVID-19, the whatever, that's part of what the sun is. Well, another part of the sun is the temptations. The temptations, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life, the temptations to step outside of what God has for you. It's trials and temptations. And she's real honest. She goes, the sun, it's burned me. I'm broken because of the hardships and the trials, and I'm broken because I've fallen to the temptations. She goes, but there's more. She goes, my mother's sons were angry with me. Now, in the scripture, our mother is the church. The sons of our mother, that's other believers. And what she's describing is in the family of faith, she says, I've had bad conflicts. I've had bad challenges with other people in church. She goes, they were angry at me. We, we, we weren't getting along. It was really, really hard. And I think what Jesus is doing and what the Lord's doing with Song of Solomon is he's identifying for us the things that cause us to bottom out, right? So it's trials, it's temptations, it's conflicts with other believers. And then she goes, and I tended everyone else's garden but my own. Watch. Have you ever got running in ministry where you were working so much in ministry that you forgot why you were working in ministry? Where all of a sudden the joy of being able to serve the Lord was stolen because you forgot you were doing the ministry of God, but you forgot the God of the ministry. 
And all of a sudden, you found yourself just working and working and working and working, but you were never with him. Does this make sense? any sense? I think these are the four things. Trials, temptations, conflicts with other believers, and working for God instead of spending time with God. She says, I didn't take care of my own vineyard. And she says, I am messed up. I am I'm a shambles. And so then she says to him, she says, verse 7, she goes, tell me, O you whom I love, where do you feed your flock at noon? In the midst of the hardship, the trials, and the temptations, how, how do you feed your, your sheep? How, how, do, how do people stay alive even when the sun is beating down on them like that? Where do you feed your flock? Where do you make it rest even at noon? Even under the heat of the sun, how do you do that? And then she says this phrase, she goes, because why should I be as a veiled one by the flocks of your companions? I'll explain that in a minute. So she's asking for her own soul to be repaired. She goes, I need you to show me how to not get burned by the sun, by the trials, by the temptations. Uh, you know, by not tending my own garden, by, by the challenges of walking through conflicts with people. I need you to show me how you can make my soul rest and be nurtured even when all those pressures are hitting me. And she goes, and then how could I get out of this? I don't want to be as a veiled one by the, by the flocks of your companions. The veiled one by the flocks of your companions. She goes, a veiled one, I can't see. And I don't want to just be by the people that say they know you, the flocks of your companions. I, I don't want to be veiled anymore. I want to be able to see. I don't want to be blind and just hear about the stories of others that you're leading, that you're feeding and you're restoring and their souls are alive. I don't want to just hear about their stories. I want to have my own experiences. How do I do this? How do I do it in the middle of the heat of the sun? How do I get rest? How do I get refreshed? Have you ever looked at all the difficulties, all the, the, the hardships, the stuff you're going through, and you just get to this place, you just go, I don't know how to do this. I want to do it, but I don't know how to do it. I don't know how to follow God even. I don't even know how to love God. I'm a wreck. I'm a hot mess. I know I want God. I'm a hot mess, and I don't know how to do it. That's what she's saying. And I don't want to be blind anymore. Listen, I've been, I've been in Song of Solomon 1, 7 so many times. I mean, I've, I've literally felt like I've come to the end of myself a hundred times in my Christianity. And what's interesting about the the story of the way the song works is it's like these cycles that we walk through and we grow through and we, we go up through, you know. And there's dis different aspects of the sun. There's different aspects of trials. Like I was telling you my week this week was misunderstandings, trials, conflicts. There's different things you walk through. There's failures you walk through. And we have to come back to that question, where do you feed your flock at noon? Where do, you, where do you nourish me in the middle of the heat of this thing? 
this is what the this is what the sound of spiritual hunger is like. Spiritual hunger doesn't sound like you've got it all together. Hear me, guys. Spiritual hunger doesn't sound like you're the most spiritual person and you got all the good language and you know everything. That's not spiritual hunger. Spiritual hunger is mostly, I'm a wreck and I need you now. Like now. Like if you don't do something, I'm gonna die. Like, and I've spent a lot of my life like that. I'm, I'm, I'm okay with it. Some of us are too prideful that we're not willing to just admit I'm dark. And we're too prideful to even go through this process. I need to know where you, how you can nourish my soul, even in the heat. And he's going to answer her. And it's so interesting, the thing he tells her. The thing he tells her potentially gets her burned again. First thing he says, he counsels her. If you do not know of fairest among women, there it is, you're, you look good. I remember I told you, every time he talks to her, you look good and I like you. Or you look good or I like you. You look good and I like you. You look good or you look good and I like Wait, you look good and I like you. You look good or I like you. I'll, anytime he talks to her, it's one of those. So, she says, if you do, uh, he says, if you do not know, oh, fairest among woman, women, you, he goes, you look good. I'm like, I'm, I'm dying over here. He goes, I, I, you're beautiful, son. I go, me? No, I'm a hot mess. He goes, you look good. You look good. People get irked with me because they'll, be, they'll tell me their whole, like, mess, and I'll go, you're good. You're good. Now, they're like, I'm not good. I'm like, you're good. You're going to be good. It's okay. It's fine. You're good. No. Yeah, 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 for real. I found out how to talk to people when I looked at how he talked to me. He says, you don't know, fairest among women, follow in the footsteps of the flock and feed your little goats beside the shepherd's tent. He gives her three things. He goes, number one, follow in the footsteps of the flock. He goes, got to get in fellowship. Got to get in fellowship. Have you ever noticed when people fall to trials and temptations, get into conflicts and all the difficulties, they get burned out, and what do they do? They isolate themselves. He goes, that is not the answer for you. Guys, don't isolate yourself. Don't. That's how the enemy picks you off. A wolf when the, when the shepherd is there and the flock is together, the wolf will just sit there and circle until one of the sheep gets off by itself, and then it goes and picks it off. But as long as the sheep are with the flock and the shepherd is there leading the flock, a wolf cannot come and pick it off. But I watch believers do this all the time. They go through trials, they go through hardships, they go through difficulties, and the first thing they do is they just go ahead and get over by themselves. Nobody understands. Nobody knows, <laughs> you know what I mean? They're doing all that by themselves, and the enemy is beating the crap out of their head. How do I know this so well? <laughs> I've been that guy. He goes, you gotta get back in fellowship. But those are the people that hate me. They're angry with me. He goes, you're gonna have to find 
a flock and get into fellowship. Follow in the footsteps of the flock. And then he goes, and you're going to get beside the shepherd's tents. Shepherd's tents? I don't even want to be in the flock. He goes, yep, you're going to have to get under spiritual authority. You're going to have to get some leadership in your life. You're going to have to get somebody who will fight for you, who cares for you. By the shepherd's tents. This is where I move. I move in the congregation. I walk in the midst of the lampstand. I declare the name of the Father in the midst of the congregation. You don't understand. Listen, 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 listen. You don't understand the activity of the enemy when he is trying to get you offended with that person right there and you go, I'm not coming back there anymore. That person's a jerk. The enemy is going, hmm, yes, yes, that's right. Get outside of the flock because I want to pick you off. Okay? Jesus goes, okay, get this. Get in the flock. Get by the shepherd's tents. Get under spiritual authority. And then he goes, and here's what I want you to do. I want you to not just get refreshed and nourished in the flock and taken care of. I also want you to pour into someone else. Feed your little lambs. Here's what I've found over the years. And I don't, I don't think you shouldn't deal with your own issues. I think you should definitely be dealing with your own issues, with God, working through stuff, with brothers and sisters around you speaking into your, into your junk. But here's what I've found. When I'm actually pouring out as God is pouring in, my heart gets healed and stays healthy a lot better than when I'm just sitting here looking at my own belly button. Right? The problem with the Dead Sea is the water doesn't go out. It just sits there and congeals. And if all you're ever doing is getting poured into and you're not pouring out, you're not pouring in. There's always somebody that you can lift, pray for, encourage. You can always pour something out. I'm not saying you got to be everybody's apostle with all the answers. I'm just saying like, he goes, just take care of your little sheeps. Just, just find the little ones that you can, be, you can be a blessing toward. Even if you're brand new. One of the things I've found that helps brand new believers get anchored, you might be brand new right now, go tell all your friends about Jesus. Say it really bad and wrong. That's okay. It's okay. But one or two of them will go, bro, what's that? what happened to you, man? You freaked out and now you're a Jesus freak? Like what? You go, dude, just come. Just come with me. Just come to this thing. Just When you get yourself in that place of just pouring out whatever life you've got, sharing your testimony, it causes your heart to start getting healed. So he goes, get in fellowship. Get in spiritual covering and pour out to others. And then he's going to go through about six verses of affirmation. And we're going to end with this. Y'all are listening really good. It got really late really fast. But Song of Solomon 1, 9 and 10, it's one of my, it's one of my favorite passages. I come back to this passage, and I, it makes my heart feel joyful, and I, sometimes I giggle. I like it. But look at these verses, 9 and 10. He says this. So he's, you know, he's going to affirm her. This is what he does. He calls you to do something that's challenging, and then he affirms you in love. When he calls you to do something challenging, he's always affirming you in love. He's always going, I love you. It's going to be okay. It's going to be okay. I love you. You can do this. I know you can. I'm, I'm with you. 
You're beautiful. You look good. I like you. Come on. He's always doing that. So he goes, verse 9, he goes, I have compared you, my love, to my filly among Pharaoh's chariots. Your cheeks are lovely with ornaments. <laughs> your necks with chains of gold. Verse 15, behold, you are fair, my love. Behold, you are fair. You have dove's eyes. There's four things going on right there, and we're going to wrap with this. He goes, I have compared you, my love, to my filly among Pharaoh's chariots. So Solomon was the richest king in the world, and he had the greatest stable of horses in the world. And Pharaoh was renowned for having amazing chariots and amazing horsemen, horses and horsemen. And so what Solomon is saying here, he says, I have a, I have a choice filly. That's my most, it's my most favorite one. I got it from Pharaoh. He goes, and when I think about you, like that one's my favorite one, you're my favorite one. You're my favorite one. When he says, I've compared you to my filly among Pharaoh's chariots, he's saying, you're my favorite one. Listen, can you hear Jesus saying that over you? You're my favorite. You're my favorite. I have wrestled with that phrase so many times. I'm like, Lord, you have so many. How can I be your favorite? He's like, you're all my favorite. I'm like, okay, okay. But maybe I'm your lesser favorite. He's like, no, no, no. You're my favorite, Billy. And I remember trying to say that, like, I'm your favorite. And I would say it as like, like I just, I didn't believe it in my soul. And then one time I said, Am I your favorite? He goes, oh, yeah. And I was like, yes, I am your favorite. I'm your favorite. Billy the Philly. <laughs> yes. I am your favorite. Yes. And when I'm feeling not favorite, when I feel like I'm ridiculous, when I feel like everything I'm doing is terrible, and yes, I feel like that a ton, I remember this one. And I remember Misty Edwards, she wrote this song, Jesus, here I am, your favorite one. It's so beautiful. And so in the song, she goes back and forth. She goes, Jesus, here I am, your favorite one. Then she goes, the next time she goes, Jesus, here I am, your favored one. You're his filly. I just happen to have a name that rhymes with it. But you can, you, you can insert your own name. You're his favorite. Well, then he says this. He says, uh, your cheeks are lovely with ornaments. All right. The cheeks are where your emotions are seen. Get embarrassed, turn red, smile, they bulge. Your cheeks are where your emotions are seen. The ornaments are ornaments he's given her. That's like the grace of God. It's like God's grace on her life and her emotions, her response to his grace. He goes, you, the way you're responding to me, he goes, it's beautiful to me. See, God sees every movement of your heart, every movement of your heart toward him, he says, it's beautiful to me. You think he wants a 10 out of 10, and I'm telling you, 
the one out of 10, just that one, he goes, I love that. We're mostly concerned about the nine we missed, and he's mostly affirming the one you did. So many of you, you go to prayer, and you're like, God, just, just show me what it is you want me to do. God, what do you want me to do? God, what do you want me to do? He goes, I want you to do nothing. I like you. You're like, I know you like me. Just tell me what you want me to do. He goes, no, we're not even talking about what I want you to do. And you're like, oh, there's these 17 areas. He goes, we're not talking about any of those either. Let's talk about something I want to talk about. You go, okay, okay, let's talk about what you want to talk about. What do you want to talk about? He goes, I like you. I love the way you respond to me. Can you hear Jesus saying over you, I love how you love me? Your cheeks are beautiful with ornaments. I love how you're responding to my grace. That's what, it, that's what he's saying to you. He says, you're my favorite. I love how you're responding to my grace. He goes, your neck is lovely with chains of gold. The neck turns the head. The neck speaks of a person's will. And he goes, your will is adorned with beauty. He goes, I see every movement of your heart, and it's beautiful. I see your will. Your love is real. He's not mostly looking at you and pointing out the 10 things that are wrong. He's mostly looking at you and affirming the one thing that's right, and it's the little yes on the inside. He says, your will, he goes, it's adorned with gold. It's beautiful. It's pure. I see the yes. And then he goes, the last one is just the, that's, it's the showstopper. He goes, and oh, by the way, behold, you are fair, my love. You are fair. You have dove's eyes. Doves are birds that are monogamous, and they have monocular vision. They only mate once their whole life, so they're committed to one other dove, and the way their eyes are, they, they only look one direction. He's saying, you are so faithful. You're looking right at me. You're committed right to me. You're going, I have, I'm a train wreck. The trials and the temptations, I am burnt. He's going, no, 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 no. I see the yes, because you're beautiful. You're faithful. And when the enemy is slamming you and saying over you, you are a hypocrite, you are unfaithful, you are unworthy, he's going, behold, you are fair. You are beautiful. You, I love you. You are faithful. Your love is real. Guys, this is the, this is the antidote to the shame of your failures. This is the antidote to the, to the brokenness of the trials. This is the antidote to the pain of the rejection. And what we see happening in her is she begins to instantaneously respond. 
when he's pouring love on her, she's responding with love back to him. And I'll just tell you, this is not something you get on the run. This isn't you just, you know, you read the verse once and you just move on. What's the next thing? No, you camp in here until the heat lamp of his love begins to melt your ice cold heart. Again, Misty, she goes, I'll take my cold, cold heart and I'll give you time to come and melt me. And she goes, I'm going to stay under this, under the revelation of your love until it transforms me. Our challenge is we're so used to microwaves and drive-throughs and instant emails and all that stuff We're so used to immediate that we are unwilling to just come and wait. Which is why even at night I was like, let's just breathe, guys. Let's just breathe. Let's quit running in and running out. Let's just sit under the truth of the way he thinks and feels about us. He says, you're my favorite one. The way you're responding to me. Your will is beautiful. Your emotions are beautiful. He goes, you're faithful. Your love is true. Amen. Amen. So good, isn't it? Let's all stand. Perfect, Val. Can we just invite the Holy Spirit right now? Let's just invite him to kiss our hearts. The kisses of the word of God. I know the language, it can feel awkward, but even I just invite you to whisper it out of your own mouth. Kiss my heart with your word. Just ask him, kiss my heart with your word. Kiss me with the kisses of your word. Maybe you're just sitting here and you're just feeling so much like the maiden. I'm burned out. The sun has burned me out. I've been I've gone through trials. Temptations have failed. I'm shamed. Don't even look at me. Don't even look at me. He says, you look good and I like you. He says, behold, you are fair, my love. You're fair. You have dove's eyes behind your veil, even. You have dove's eyes. I see you. I see the yes on the inside. I see the truth of your heart. I see your will. I see your emotions responding to my grace. I see who you are. You're my favorite one. You're my favorite one.
You're my favorite one. Tell me, are you whom I love? Where do you feed your flock at noon? Where do you make it rest? How do you do this in the middle of the sun? Beating down. Just come on. Come on. In the midst of the flock, come by the shepherd's tent. Feed your little lambs. Come on. There's something for you here. Lord, I pray right now that you would break down every one of our walls. You would lift every lie of shame. You would speak your pleasure over our hearts. You would speak the truth of your delight in us. We would hear you say that we're beautiful to you. Your cheeks, your emotions are beautiful to him. Every little decision you've made, he's seen everyone, every lean of your heart, every attempt, even pushing through the pain, the challenge, the trial, the fear, the anger, the conflict, the hurt. He sees every movement of your heart towards him. He says it's beautiful. I've compared you, my love, to my filly. You're my favorite one. Some of you need to hear that right now. He's just saying it over you. You're my favorite one. You're my favorite one. You're my favorite one. Come, Holy Spirit. If you want to come forward, you can. Just open the altar right now. We're just going to take a moment and let him wash over us with his love. I'm just going to continue to speak his love over us. He loves you too much to leave you as you are. He's too committed to you. Do you know the bridegroom? Do you know the bridegroom God? You're going to a marriage, the marriage of the Lamb. That's where you're headed. Do you know the way he loves you? And do you know the way you move him? Do you know his emotions towards you? Are you confident? You'd say, I need to become more confident in the love of God. I just want to invite you to come. Just let, let him wash over your heart right here.
Let it come, Holy Spirit. Let it come. Break down every wall. Break down all the shame. Deliver every mentality, every performance mentality, every lie. Behold, you are fair, my love. Behold, you are fair. You have dove's eyes. But you don't know what I did. He says, you have dove's eyes. He says, I see you. I see you. I see your heart. I see the yes. You have dove's eyes. Lord, increase, I'm asking, increase the experience of your affections right now. Thank you so much for listening. We hope that this message ministered to you and that the Lord met you. You can follow us on Instagram at gatekeepersatl. We'll see you in the next message.